to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Amanda LaGrange, the Chief Executive Officer of TechDump Minnesota. Amanda, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, I asked for some of your time to talk about what is my absolute favorite innovation in the fundraising space in the last two decades or whatever. (laughs) I think your team has come up with a great idea, but it it launches a larger conversation about individual donors and support and community outreach. Um, So I want to get into that. But before we do, could you just begin by telling people what is TechDump? What's your mission? Sure. TechDump is a 501c3 nonprofit social enterprise. And we use our electronics recycling and refurbishing business model as a way to um, create opportunities and job training for adults facing some sort of barrier to employment, most specifically individuals coming out of incarceration or in recovery from addiction. So we recycle and then we also sell refurbished electronics under our tech discounts uh, retail brand. Uh, which reminds me, before we leave, I, I have an old computer in the I car. Love I'd love it. to give to you before <laughs> I go. Uh, I have uh, taken advantage of that opportunity to get materials into the waste stream that can't be reused, and to have other things evaluated if they can be reused. But um, I've been uh, a supporter of your work from the sidelines. I've been to a couple of open houses and whatnot uh, around that mission, and I think that that's super important. So you have a little bit of an earned revenue stream from the resale of both machines for the the reuse, but also for materials. Um, But of course, like every other organization that is doing social good, usually that's not enough to cover the necessary costs of doing work. Uh, So grants, individual donors, I'm sure have been part of the work um, the whole time. Uh, How do you think about your revenue mix right now between the donated stuff and the earned revenue? Yeah. So when we were founded, we actually had the wild idea that we would never need contributed income. We thought we could create a fully self-funded enterprise. And that was true for a couple of years. And then as we grew and as we expanded our training program, we realized, oh, there's a role for contributed income. So at this point, we're still about 95% self-funded with the other 5% coming from very generous uh, local foundations. And to date, we really uh, didn't have any individual donors. Last year, uh, so 2018's Give to the Max Day was a really big deal for us to ask people for money for what was mostly the first time. And um, our board got in on the action, and I think we raised right around $4,000, which we're really, really proud of. Um, But it was that realization of where I feel like a lot of my nonprofit colleagues are frequently asking, how do we get more earned revenue? (laughs) I started asking, how do we get more contributed revenue? Uh, And especially as an organization that for many years just hadn't invested effort or uh, messaging in that round, um, it created a bit of a challenge for us to figure out how do we go from saying, we really don't need your money, we want your electronics, and we want introductions to IT decision makers and large businesses, to we would love your $40 contribution, we'd love your $100 contribution, that all of that really has an impact. And that's part of how we landed with a non-event event. Okay, so enough dancing around my, my favorite innovation <laughs> in the idea of how do you meet more individual donors. So um, event-based fundraising has been a component of nonprofit organizational work for decades and decades. Um, it's harder in some areas, easier in others, uh, longer tradition events in some spaces. But creating one from scratch where you don't have uh, a history of uh, supporters that are used to coming to that event or whatever, 
whatever is is challenging and I think that looking at how do you message that in a mission aligned way um, is rather than just it's just another event uh, just like everybody else's event we have the the kind of thing that we do but thinking about what do you do so aligning the idea of a zero waste event with a zero attendance event <laughs> was just genius so you. can you talk a little bit about your decision uh, to move to a gala that didn't have anybody attending Yes. Well, I do think that there's something to be said for uh, embracing your true self mm -hmm. as a leader. And I very frequently would tell our board and our staff, if there's ever a day that we're hosting a fundraiser gala or a golf event, it's probably <laughs> time for us to find another leader because the thought of getting on like dressed up in cocktail attire and schmoozing for three hours um, in hopes of breaking even the first year, maybe... Mm -hmm. Um, even losing a little bit, it sounds like is very common right. for nonprofits when they do their first um, gala. I thought like that just sounds like torture, and I like I'm just I'm not equipped. Give me a business strategy and a SWOT analysis. Like I'm great. Have me schmooze for three hours at a gala, and I will be fried for a month. Mm -hmm. And so um, I jokingly said like I would pay to not have to go to that. And then we started joking about like this concept of would other people pay to not have to come to an event. And um, it also really got into this piece of just how wasteful events are. Mm -hmm. um, our partners at Ecotone Analytics uh, graciously did a calculation for us that just by avoiding swag bags at an event, you save the equivalent of um, planting 19 trees mm -hmm. from a carbon offset. And so we just started down this path of realizing um, from a resource standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, from a staff standpoint, to try to do some fancy new event would be um, really costly and a huge lift. Um, and I, I think that there's something, too, of TechDump's roots just being sort of disruptive. Like mm -hmm. we came into the nonprofit space believing maybe we really didn't need grants. We came into the electronics recycling space saying this model where everybody pays by the pound for everything, what if we have some items that could be free to recycle and sort of throw that model off? Uh, and so it just kind of felt like our our role, I guess, to, to challenge it. And it was really interesting, um, as all leaders know, when you put something out into the world, you feel really vulnerable and nervous of mm -hmm. whether or not people will buy in. And I sent an email, I think, to 350 people, and you were one of those people. And I said, like, we're doing this event. And the number of fellow executive directors that responded saying, like, oh, man, I hope this sticks. Yeah. I thought, all right, we've, we've finally, like, we have confirmation we've landed on something that it's not just us that are trying to figure out a different way of doing this. I think that part of what we hope for in events is that it's a, a space where people feel like they uh, they want to be connected to the mission of the organization. And sometimes that feels easier to do in person, to mm -hmm. see other people, to be in a space. So uh, event-based fundraising, I think, has a place in donor acquisition for many organizations. Um, but to take that unique twist on it for yours to say, we are about zero waste and mm -hmm. it's one part of our core principles. So how do we take that as our introduction to these new folks that may not come? Um, and um, some of us, of course, just had a field day on Twitter with, with what you were doing. Yeah, um, it was fun to see the pet photos. Those were my favorite of people. I think there might be a, a niche there of um, galas that you can bring your pets to based on everyone's <laughs> tweets of 
of enjoying being with their dog or cat for for the event. Right. But the idea of saying we could just send out an email saying please give money to support, you know, all these people getting back into employment and being, right. you know, all all the good things that you do. And I'm, you know, sure that's part of a, a strategy as well. But to introduce the mission to people that aren't yet connected usually needs some kind of that definitive moment in time. You know, we have a space reserved and you kind of reserved a space. Uh, so I'd like you to talk about that decision too. But more importantly, there's a moment of time. We want you to get a ticket for this thing by this date and then not come to it on that date. So focusing people's attention on a specific moment is a little different from can you just please send a check when you feel like it. Uh, so mm -hmm. when you decide to do the non-gala gala, -gala yeah. um, you know, the idea of installing some urgency within a potential audience around a definitive end date gets you the advantage of an event without having the actual event. So um, it doesn't feel to me like it was particularly far out from mm -hmm. the time that it was announced until the actual event happened, as opposed to the more traditional gala where you've got to right. do the save the date thing months ahead of time and all those kinds of deals. So um, when you thought about this and decided to do it, what was the thinking behind how much time do you give to tell people to not show up? We felt like if we planned it too far in advance or announced it, I guess is a better phrase, announced it too far in advance, it would be really easy to follow on people's priority levels. Mm -hmm. It's been fascinating. Um, I've been with Tech Dump for a little over six years. It's been fascinating to watch attention spans get shorter, mm. calendars get tighter, uh, and people's sort of like their ability to remember something within a few days seems to go. And so we felt like if we had it really concentrated and really hard for a couple of weeks, that that would be better than having months of notice. And the beautiful part was any person that told me, I'm sorry, I can't come to the event. I have something that night. I was like, well, that's the whole point. You right. don't have to come. So there was really no excuse, mm -hmm. I guess, to not buy a ticket other than somebody that wasn't feeling super compelled to give. Um, but I do think, and we saw this early on with our electronics recycling collection events, there's something about a date. There's something about a deadline yeah. that really resonates. And so even with collection events, we are open Monday through Friday year round, mm -hmm. but we could be three miles away and give people a three hour window on a Saturday and they would act like it was the only time all year long that they could come and recycle. And so there's something about deadlines and I don't know if it's like the procrastinator in all of us or what. Um, but I think that that was helpful. I think we also invited people to block their calendars to take care of themselves and to do something mm -hmm. fun. And we were seven minutes of that fun night spent in in your pajamas or with takeout or whatever it looked like. Um, but I felt like we heard a really resounding, like, thanks for inviting us, one, to support you financially, but also to just have a night to relax. And um, if if that's a, a way of serving our community in a different way, I'm very on board with that. But uh, I think um, everyone just sort of evented out. Our calendars are just too packed. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the um, the excitement around it, there's a definitive date, helps the message move a little bit and and encourages your existing supporters to reach out within a time frame. Um, but you could have at that point just said, "That was the time. I, I hope you had a nice night." And you decided to make an event out of it with an event space anyway. Yeah. Uh, and you know, one of the Twin Cities' favorite hosts. 
exists uh, as a, a part of that. So yeah. um, you did actually kind of take that next level of <laughs> making an event that nobody was invited to show up to at a place mm-hmm. that they weren't welcome to go to, right. uh, to, which kind of added to the fun of it, I think, but did incur some more effort on your part to um, create that that level of it. Why the decision to kind of partner with an event center that you weren't going to be at and why hire a host who was only going to talk into a camera? <laughs> uh, I feel like it was a little far out of a first step to invite people to pay to come to an event to not come to. Mm-hmm. A little less out there to say, you don't have to come, but you will come to you. The event will come to you. It's going to be short. You can watch it from wherever. You can watch it whenever. It wasn't as big of a jump for people. And I also think, and I'm seeing this in um, all sorts of nonprofits that are seeking some creative fundraising approaches, um, we as donors, I'll include myself in that, like we still want something. And whether that's a handwritten note, I got a really great one in the mail yesterday from uh, an organization I had recently donated to, or um, that there's there's some sort of thing. And in many cases, I think that's warm fuzzies. Mm-hmm. But when I was thinking about new donors that don't, they're not going to read a note and see faces with it. I wanted there to be some sort of real connection. And I really wanted to have that opportunity um, for one of our program graduates to talk to the attendees. And I couldn't figure out how else to do it other than um, to have a very condensed, somewhat cheeky uh, event. And thankfully, and this is the power of nonprofits partnering with local chambers, I believe, um, through the Midway Chamber in St. Paul, we've um, become good friends with the Midpoint Event Center in St. Paul. And so they were willing to let us have the space. So sort of the traditional nonprofit gala event where you're finding in-kind donations and and all sorts of donors. Um, we still had a little bit of that, I guess, by finding the donated space. But um, I just, I felt like um, the sort of disruption of a non-event event uh, still needed some sort of resemblance of, of an event. And the program, as you mentioned, very short, um, was pre-recorded. Right. So yeah. the the event space wasn't giving up a donated space on a Friday night when they could have been booking something else. They could have you do that in a relatively short period of time at a time that doesn't really cost them an opportunity to host something else. Exactly. And it was set up for the event that they had the next day, so their staff didn't have to do any work. I mean, I feel like it very much went into the zero waste yeah. um, side of our planning. It was very funny, though, to plan. Um, an event that no one was coming to and also make sure that we still didn't have waste. And so we were talking through like, all right, there won't be place settings. Like, will that be a big deal to people? And we're like, (laughs) no, it won't. Like, that would just be a waste of time and energy and resources. Okay, not that. And then um, we had LED candles on the tables. And so like we went through the whole process of thinking around zero waste. And I think it was a good process for us to realize just truly how much by not having an event, we really were protecting the environment. So the decision to bring in a more professional MC too. Yes. And again, I think here as you're looking to build excitement um, with the audiences that I'm imagining you're reaching on this first one, which are going to be people that are kind of first degree connections to folks that already are connected to mm-hmm. Tech Dump, uh, as opposed to people um, who may be getting invited because their corporation bought a table and they don't know anything about the organization, but you know they work for the bank, so they showed up at the event that the right. organization had a table for. I'm assuming more of those folks that are 
are buying tickets to the non-event here were, were getting there because they saw it in a Twitter feed of a friend and they thought, oh, that is a really clever idea and I, I want to be in on that and have fun. But a little bit of it going, oh, Tane's hosting it. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. You know, um, getting a, you know, not tremendously expensive, you know, celebrity, but a local beloved, you know, mm-hmm. um, a participant in many other nonprofit things yeah. is another strategy decision about, you know, having a host for an event as you would have paid for an MC had you done, you know, the actual in-person thing. Uh, so again, in looking at what are we going to invest in this thing so far, you have pretty much no money down. I assume that Tane's organization got paid a little something to participate Mm -hmm. but those might be about the only costs that you were looking at yeah and then we did also pay um for the video production uh and some event coordination but everyone was very generous with very low rates um i think that there's also something um and some nonprofits have taken advantage of more than of it than others but the role of influencers and so i viewed um tane coming on to the project as bringing a lot of his influence in the community And um, sort of bringing some validation to the fact that we were doing this weird outside of the box thing, which is perfectly on brand for Tane. Um, And what was really fun when we showed up to do um, the filming, he shared that his mom growing up was constantly going to these community gala events. And so for him, he loved the thought of getting disrupt to disrupt this um, approach to fundraising. And so I feel like we also invited him to join sort of like this conspiracy team yeah. of like, how do we all come together and say like, do we really want to all do this? Like, what if we bought into a different way of, of fundraising? But um, as we were sh- sort of shopping this de- idea around in the community, I frequently heard from people like, it's a great idea, but I don't think people will pay to not come. Um, I heard from several people, like, it's just a really noisy time of year with Give to the Max and Giving Tuesday and all of it. Um, You should really wait until spring. Um, And there were a lot of other sort of like naysayers, I guess. Um, And so it was really important for us to find the right partners that from the get-go were like, oh, I'm all in. And that was Tane and that was um, Darren, our video producer, and and all of our partners, and they sort of took what was um, a rough sketch and turned it into. I mean, I I've, I've watched the video several times, and I was there for the filming, and I still crack up um, <laughs> because it's just it's so funny, and um, and I love um, some of the pans of like the completely empty event space where like we just got to be cheeky and mm-hmm. cheesy and funny. So for folks that aren't familiar and are outside the Twin Cities area, Tane Danger is with the um, Theater of Public Policy, which is a kind of improv group that has participated in many public civic-minded types of things, often nonprofit, but not exclusively, um, to uh, have people have a little bit of fun with what they're doing and uh, is well-known in the community within a certain sect. So so that idea of an influencer, you know, not, uh, you know, multinational celebrity, but people that are more likely to have heard about this event uh, will probably go, well, I've seen Teen Danger's work other places. I know what that is. I can get a little closer to this unusual idea (laughs) and be part of it. So um, 
we'll put links in the show notes to the theater public policies. People can see that links to the videos. People can see that if you have a moment after listening to check in on, on those things. So having now done round one in a fairly condensed period, and as you mentioned, in kind of a busy time, because this mm -hmm. happened before Give to the Max Day, but during the Give to the Max Giving period. Yeah. Um, so for those in Minnesota, you know, it's a statewide giving day. Many charities are just bombarding their um, supporters with messages about Give to the Max campaigns. But you're um, doing this different thing in that window. How do you think it went? I, I don't know, you know, was it successful? Uh, blown away successful. <laughs> um, when we first started um, sort of recruiting vendors and chatting with Tane, our planning team said like, all right, if this year is a break even for this really low budget, like that's worst case scenario. We feel very confident we'll be able to do that. And as we signed on more table sponsors, because we truly had table sponsors for an event that had no tables, no tables <laughs> uh, we felt like, all right, we feel pretty bullish that we can um, balance table sponsors and some individual ticket sales to get to $10,000. And days before the event, we were well past 10 and just zooming and set a stretch goal of 15000 And the morning of the event... Um, I woke up, we're still t selling tickets at that point, sure. and we were over 15. And so we're like, well, I guess we need a super stretch goal. <laughs> and so we set that at 18,000. And um, after Give to the Max Day, um, that Thursday after our event on Tuesday, we were at 18. And um, what I, I loved so many pieces of it. I loved getting notes um, from people who had watched the video sharing that they all of a sudden had to go to this other gala event and all they could think was, I wish I could just pay and stay home and mm -hmm. sit in my PJs. Um, it was fun to see all the um, the Twitter feed, which anybody can see of the hashtag, thank you for not coming, uh, and some of the content that's there. And then um, just to already have um, literally one table sponsored for next year where um, a connection of ours said, like, I'm all in. I loved it. I want you to keep doing this. Uh, I want it to repeat next year. And then, um, and clearly also we'll call a spade a spade. Like it's nice to see the dollars deposited into our checking account that we can now use towards our mission, um, which is, um, it's fun to do a fun event, um, but it's even more meaningful to be able to see those dollars go to really good use uh, with our job training program and our staff there. So yeah, by all means, I think, um, a very successful event and beyond uh, what I could have imagined. So uh, traditionally a table sponsor um, pays a little bit more and distributes tickets to people that then show up, that you try to get to bid on the silent auction thing or make a gift at the event or whatever. So there's a, a, another shot at them. In your table sponsor world, did they give you names of people that they would have invited had they been there or what's the... Yeah, we gave them the option okay. and the fascinating part is not a single one wanted to invite anybody additional. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was make just wonderful commentary on, and I frequently get the email, right, that says like, hey, Amanda, I have an extra seat at this event. Do you want to come with a plus one? And mm -hmm. I think, no, I, I have no desire to come to that. And occasionally I still do, but um, I just think it's showing this way of relationship building and marketing for those donors has just changed dramatically. And um, we offered, in addition to the table, like I think they got to invite 10, uh, 
non-attendees. Mm-hmm. Um, we did logo placement on all of our publicity and right. some social media coverage. Um, and the amount of like we did teaser videos, so they were on each one of those. Our Eventbrite page for the event, I think, had like thirteen thousand views. Like they got some really great exposure, even though no one physically came to the event. So I wanted to ask you about the decision sure. to use Eventbrite because yeah. uh, I have done that with other organizations I've worked with because there are some spinoff benefits of being listed in the Eventbrite platform for the day of thing. They, they mm-hmm. It's not huge, but it's there and it's meaningful. But it is more helpful when you're actually ticketing, I yeah. mean, a thing as opposed to why not build a page on your website that just, you know, had people buy a ticket, in quotes, and make a donation and be done with it. But you, you cut Eventbrite in for a little bit of the credit card processing. Yeah. And why why the thought to use an event-based platform? Yeah, a couple of reasons. Um, the first was truly our belief that we needed to make this event feel, well, this non-event, mm-hmm. feel as event-ish as possible. Okay. And so it's a very like common feeling right. of you're going to an event, you buy this ticket, and here's it all set up. Um, And we really liked as well with the structure in case this inspires anyone to try to test it out um, that we could have specific ticket prices, but then also what we called our choose your own adventure, Mm -hmm. which was just a donation line item. And people could choose at what level, which part of that was important to us because we wanted sort of everyone to feel like they had a seat at the table, even if there weren't tables. And so we had people for nine bucks buy-in. We had people that then decided these options of a $40 individual ticket or $75 for two people were too low for what they wanted to contribute. And so they chose to contribute $250. Um, So it was a really fascinating option to have that built in. But um, so we wanted the event piece to feel very uh, traditional and sort of what people have come to expect. Um, The other piece was in in some ways, we really followed the lean startup approach for mm-hmm. this event because we didn't know if it was going to work. Right. And so to keep our staff investment as minimal as possible, we avoided having to add the page to the website and um, figure out all of the back end pieces, which wouldn't be probably a ton of work, but would have been a lot more work than this already existing piece. So right. we'll see what we end up doing for future years because definitely it'd be nice if all of the dollars flowed to us. Um, but for the amount that we ended up paying in Eventbrite fees, it was it was definitely worth it. And right. then on our analytics, we could see, and I don't have the exact stat, but it was probably a thousand of our thirteen thousand page views came through Eventbrite publicity. Okay. And so I don't have any stats on how many of those converted into ticket purchases, but it definitely gave us some additional exposure. Well, and that, but to that idea of maybe building some um, awareness the next time somebody sees that page going right, I would thought about that last year when I heard about it. Yeah. I Maybe I didn't buy the ticket then, but you get in front of them at least once with this idea. Right. And, you know, maybe that first time it doesn't execute, but maybe if you come back and do it again and they see it again and they become more familiar and they decide to have a little bit more fun, um, you bring them in. So part of why people do events, though, isn't just about raising the money. So $18,000 is nice. Right. In an organization your scale with what's going on, you know, you're not going to hire two new people with that. It's right. it, it will be a help in doing more. But it usually these events are put together because you're trying to build a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody who might support your mission in other ways. Maybe they become a recurring donor, they come and make a year-end gift, they spread the word out, they become a, a, a customer where they're dropping materials off and paying for recycling or whatever. There's all kinds of other reasons. 
but it, it really does kind of say, all right, now we've met some more people and you're newer to the idea of really trying to build an individual donor base for mm-hmm. supporting what you're doing. How do you to, uh, leap off of, you had a lot of fun, but it's not all fun, right? There is right. serious mission work happening here and we'd love you to know what that is and support it. Yeah. So um, definitely figuring out how to convert an electronic meeting into a continued relationship will be one of the big mm-hmm. questions for the year. Um, we followed up with a thank you note, of course, as, as good practice, but we also did a survey to understand um, what people experienced from the event and what we could learn from them. And so I'm excited now um, to start building the relationships that don't already exist. I mean, we had people that literally no one on our team has any idea who they are. So that would be another good <laughs> Some success. Some of them may have been those Eventbrite links, right? That they exactly. just landed. You're like, we don't know you yet. Right. Wow. And then some of the names are like my sister and my Aunt Sue. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there's there's that. But mm-hmm. um, Which that's another plug for a non-event event is your family from all over the United States right. can attend without uh, having to fly in, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but our ability um, to turn those connections into like actual human connections will be the next feat. Um, I love giving tours of our space. So that's part of our strategy of bringing people in. Um, but we're still trying to figure out um, how to do that electronically in some way. So whether it's um, like ongoing thank you messages from our team um, through video. And I don't know. I think that there's something to be said of um, – We've had people buy into an electronic way of interacting with us. And so maybe that's part of how they'd like to to stay in touch. Um, but the jury's out on whether or not that can really turn into the same sort of uh, impactful relationship that in-person can. Well, but that donor acquisition thing, I think you just hit on something really important to emphasize. When you do event-based fundraising, you're um, building potential donors and and supporters of the mission and whatnot that were physically able to show up in a space. And it's such an important thing to break out of that limitation of, well, we're based, you know, in this nice facility in St. Paul that we just bought and renovated and did these great things with. And we want to give tours to people that can come to St. Paul. But there are a lot of people that believe in what you're doing, especially in the reemployment of folks that have had a really hard time getting sustaining jobs to think they could they could be those supporters and donors and whatnot without ever living in this state, without ever having to be concerned about, um, you know, I, I can't physically go to the event, so therefore I'm not part of it. Um, that it really gives you that opportunity to build a relationship that's more mission-focused than, than event-focused. And I think that that's a, a real opportunity, but right, a little bit of a question of, you know, we're not trying to remind you through pictures of you showing up at the picture wall at the gala thing um, to go, remember you're connected to us. We have to establish that a new way, and I have confidence that your team will do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, going to be some trial and error, I have a feeling, for a while, though. And and I do think um, there's a certain curmudgeon part of me that even though I love how much we embrace technology, that there's also something about being in person with people. And, right. um, and I don't want us to miss that part as we sort of test this different area of, of fundraising. Uh, and I think um, like the GoFundMe and Kickstarter approach is great, but you also stay very um, distanced from what you're supporting other than the thing that comes in the mail or the thank you note. And so um, 
I think these true deep human connections are part of how we uh, bring peace to our world. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm still pondering this one of the balance. Right. Well, and I think, you know, recognizing that uh, Tech Dump does not have, you know, a 50-year history to right. kind of look back on with these things to go, you're you're building some things for the first time. But I, I think it's one of those challenging things, and I've had uh, Cookie Cart on this podcast in the past talking about the fact that, um, you know, they're not a bakery, they are a youth development agency. And in some ways, you know, yes, you are actually recycling and reusing materials that we don't want in landfills, and that's a really important part of your mission. But you're also... And giving people access to employment that haven't been allowed to get into those spaces, that haven't had that same opportunity. And to have that conversation with people uh, about that part of your mission, I, I think is something that can lend itself to supporters that maybe aren't going to drive over and donate a computer or buy a, a refurbished one from you or whatever right. that may be, but they could see that part of it where they feel like, yeah, I get how people leaving incarceration, people in recovery are, are disenfranchised from meaningful work in many cases. And if you've got the way of helping to bridge that, how do we bring those donors in to feel like they're part of that mission, even if it isn't something that they can come see a warehouse? Right. So, so much more to do, but it's so exciting to see a first year. Now, there's nothing, of course, saying that you have to do this on a 365-day schedule. <laughs> Is, uh, are, there, are there thoughts about, do you do it at the same time next year? Do you move the date now having done it once? Or are there uh, kind of post-event breakdowns of what might be next? Yeah, so... Um at least for now, the working plan is that it will stay in the fall time okay. of the year, um, mostly because we're planning to turn uh, our spring robot fashion show. Oh, uh, my which, gosh, um, you can't tease that. And now we have to schedule a whole other conversation this just is about our, that. Uh, 2020 will be our fourth year of doing it. Okay. And so um, sort of the same piece where like, we had a lot of people that questioned what the heck we were thinking and planning. Um, with three years under our belts, we feel like we can now turn that into a fundraising element. Um, so we'll be still planning. That's always during Earth Week okay. um, where people dress up and at least 25% of their costumes should be uh, re recycled electronic parts. Um, and it is amazing what people come up with of these robot-inspired costumes that they walk the runway with. Um, so that'll be a fundraiser that we keep for the spring. And then our fall will be uh, the second annual okay. next year for thank you for not coming. But um, it's been fun to already start uh, planning on like this question of what else would people pay to not have to do, mm. um, which so far I've heard things like go on vacation with in-laws, <laughs> um, go to another work off-site meeting. So uh, we've got some things in the works on how we can sort of uh, spoof off of those feelings as well. Well, I am just so grateful you took a little bit of time today to share that um, that creativity with other nonprofits that maybe feel like, boy, that the traditional event thing is just really difficult for many, many reasons. And to think there are other ways of building connection with people that maybe, again, thinking of it more from your mission with that zero waste focus in your particular case, but for other charities, um, you know, you've raised such a great point about the uh, pet lovers wanting to have their pets right. involved, right? That there's got to be some way of saying we can't have you bring your pets into, you know, these fancy gala spaces, but let's all do something else where pets are welcome and encouraged. Yeah. 
whatever it will be, I very much look forward to seeing the next thing. So uh, before we wrap, is there anything else you want to make sure people know about TechDump or the work that you're doing? No, this has been a great right. opportunity. Thanks so much. All right. Well, uh, Amanda LaGrange, the Chief Executive Officer at TechDump, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me.